Long ago, a woman made camp in the woods. She was a warrior. One morning, she was sharpening her sword at the riverside when she was approached by a weary traveler. He had silken white hair and eyes clear as diamonds. That's a beautiful sword, he said. It was my elder's blade, she replied. I honor it as I do my grandfather. Perhaps we could journey together, said the man. I am from the Vale. I have no protection, but I know a story or two. I could keep you company. The warrior eyed him, curious. He seemed harmless and easy on the eyes. I suppose, she said, but they better be good stories. The very best, I promise, said the Veilman. And on that day, the parents of the child of doorways took their first steps together. Cult 1440 presents Echoes of Exesar, Season 3, Episode 5, Coin, Pipa, Choker, and Chain. the circle of masks. The gravity in Kamiya's voice clashed with our surroundings. She, Ketra, my father and I, admired the city from an observatory, a wide ring of glass walls that doubled as a greenhouse. The child of doorways slept in Ketra's arms. Many of the same flora I had seen in the jungle appeared here, along with some fresh species sentient flowers that changed color based on their feelings, vines that danced like charmed snakes in response to sound, animated moss that rustled against the walls and trees, giving off a faint chirping noise. Outside, fish swam with birds amidst the familiar glow of floating red bulbs. Everything felt so alien, and yet so very real. It was easy to forget that everything I was seeing was a construct of Camilla's mind. Camilla's reflection haunted the glass walls as her glistening, black eyes lost themselves in the scene. They are the disciples of Winvarian. The circle lives to fulfill their god's will. 
My lips pursed as I processed the information. I had some idea of the God of Eternity's machinations. How his dying betrothed, Illithane, fueled all mortal life in Exesar. When Varian would do anything to save her from this fate, including wiping out all mortal life. But still, to go so far as to involve an infant? Even one such as this? I looked at her, resting soundlessly in Ketra's embrace. She didn't have a care in the world. I couldn't help but feel a twinge of pain for her in my heart. All this because of the Veilman, I thought. Even in the old pantheon, the Veilman had always been more like a fairy tale. There were no records of any churches devoted to him, no mention of him in the Kreshthra. During the Adenist Reformation, zealots of the Five hadn't even bothered to craft propaganda to discourage the Veilman's worship. He was a ghost, even among the gods. What do they need with the child? I asked. Kumia opened her mouth, then paused. She gestured impatiently at my father. I supposed she wasn't confident enough in her trade speech to explain it to me. My father cleared his throat. <clears throat> there is an obscure prophecy found in one of the rejected scripts of the Kreshthra. It mentions something called the Drash Kathurn. It loosely translates to the Child of Doorways. In the prophecy, this child has the power to soul-bind with multiple frights at a time. Impossible, I said reflexively. Even binding with one fright puts immense strain on a mortal. To do it more than once would tear someone's soul essence apart. Only... My voice caught in my throat. I thought of Isolde. How she was able to make contracts with multiple agents at a time, over a period of centuries. Of course, she could do that because she was a fright, and a powerful one at that. But if it was true, what they were saying about the Veilman... Once again, my eyes fell on the child. You're saying that she can do this because she's the daughter of a god? A god and akin to millions of luminous frights, my father pressed. Some translations say the Veilman is effectively a fright himself, which would make his daughter one too. The lines get a little fuzzy, I know. The point is, both the Veilman and his daughter are immensely powerful. There's no telling what they are capable of. All right, let's say I believe you. Why would Winvarian want another kin like that running around? Why not just kill her? Ketra shook her head. No kill, she said in disgust. He used her. Like Karana. Um, like weapon. Very good, Ketra, my father praised. Your trade speech is improving. Yes, like a weapon. When Varian wants to shatter the barrier between worlds, the Shade, not even the gods are powerful enough to do that. But if when Varian has the child, he can force her to bond with as many frights as he wants, enough to create the single most powerful being in existence.
a being that can open doors to any conceivable reality. The question that had been boiling in my gut erupted like a geyser. And how do you know all of this? I fixed my gaze on my father. My tone was harsher than I wanted it to be. But I felt given everything I'd just heard, it was warranted. Forgive me, but I've been played before. Too many coincidences are at play. When Varian, the Shade, and now you, father. How do I know that what you're saying is true? And how do I know I can trust you? My father frowned. The scarlet light outside cast long shadows on the wrinkles of his face. Glancing at Ketra, the two shared a silent conversation in each other's gaze. Nodding, he looked at me. You have every right to be suspicious, my son, he replied. And truthfully, we haven't told you everything. Before Ketra and I came to Sanctuary, we belonged to the Circle of Masks. The news froze every organ in my body solid. My muscles tensed. Immediately, I began scanning the area for a weapon and exit. I tried to suppress my growing dread at the prospect of my long-lost father, the man I'd fought so hard to save, being involved in such a nightmarish plan. No doubt sensing my unease, my father lifted his hands up. Please, let me finish, he implored. Ketra was taken from her family as a child. She was forced to bond with her fright. They indoctrinated her, or at least they tried to. She escaped with the help of Kamiya when the people of Sanctuary raided a den of the Circle. Since then, Kamiya's taught her everything she knows, protected her, given her a home. Kamiya is dearest one to me, Ketra said, as if to emphasize my father's point. Would no harm, would die first. And as for me, my father turned from me, staring out into the dark red sky sea outside the window. Three and a half years ago, my entire world changed. I suddenly felt as if everything I knew was a lie. I had no recollection of you, Rowan, or your mother. I had all these scars on my body, but I couldn't explain them. Terrible dreams haunted me night after night. Dreams of someone named the Inquisitor. Finally, I decided that I had to seek out the truth. I joined a merchant vessel in hopes of seeing the world looking for answers. About six months later, there was a terrible storm in the Sea of Last Breaths. A wave like nothing I'd never seen swallowed our ship whole. I blacked out. When I came to, I was on a strange shoreline. Gray mist all around. Red floating bulbs and ice blue veins in the earth. Ranta. The circle found me, near death. They took me in, nursed me back to health. I thought they were friends at first. But then one night, I woke up to find myself strapped into my bed. 
The members of the circle stood around me, wearing their masks and whispering chants in a language I did not know. They... They bound me to a fright. A terrible beast. The king of monsters. Feral soul, they called it. Our bond... To call it a partnership is laughable. This thing, Rowan... It chews up my soul like a ragged plaything. It takes over. Months passed for me, with no memory other than the taste of blood, and the sickening cries of a thousand creatures all at once. My body is not my own anymore. It is a vessel for the feral soul to channel its rage. Only when Kamiya saved me, brought me here, was I able to remember myself. My father looked back at me. Before, he had seemed stoic and solid, like a statue carved from my memories of him. Now, that statue looked shattered. Tears ran down his flushed face. His whole body quivered. It was as though he was afraid that merely talking about the feral soul might will it into existence. can't leave, Rowan. My body sleeps in the real world. If I return, the feral soul will awaken within me. Sanctuary is the only place where I can hide from it. Even so, I know it is only a matter of time. A fright that powerful cannot stay dormant for long. It will awaken itself, eventually. It will track me down, and it will destroy everyone here. It will shred their spirits to tatters, and then it will drag me, flailing, back into my body, where I will be forced to watch it hunt again from the cage of my mind. Ketra stepped forward, rubbing my father's back softly. No one spoke for a time. Kumiya stared at the ground in somber contemplation. I watched my father regain his composure. His story evaporated my tension and replaced it with insurmountable guilt. All he'd been through, all his suffering, was because of me. If he hadn't lost his memory, if he hadn't felt compelled to seek out the truth. It was almost too much to bear. I gripped my knotted stomach, about to heave from self-loathing. Scorch you, Vondere, I cursed myself. No, Rowan, craven, cowardly Rowan. God's cast you to the pit for what you've done. I'm sorry. I whispered. It's not your fault, my father said. But now you know. The circle will stop at nothing to fulfill their god's dream. I hate them for what they've done to me, to Ketra, to this island. 
And if the child is the only way to end this, then so be it. And how do we end it? A ritual, Kumia intoned. Feast of Passions. The name rang a bell. I recalled Isolde speaking of rare cases where multiple kin could join together to cast spells more powerful than anything they could muster individually. The Feast of Passions was one such spell. It's a... I suppose you could call it a counterspell, my father explained, eyes searching above for the right words. If the forbidden scripts are to be believed, the Feast of Passions would cancel the child's bond with the fright. It would make her mortal. But suppose it worked, I wondered. Couldn't Winvarian capture her fright and force her to bond with it again? Kumia shook her head. Killed. She noticed the startled expression on my face, then looked to my father who shook his head. No, uh... Sealed. She corrected. Yes, my father said. The ritual deadens both entities' connection to the Shade, which is what enables them to bond in the first place and become kin. This shouldn't result in any pain for either of them. I molded over. It could work, I thought. But still, even if there was no pain, was it right to do such a thing? After all, frights feed off their connection to the physical world. If the child's fright was severed from our world completely, what would become of it? What if it truly was the offspring of a god? Would we be defeating one wrathful deity only to spark the ire of another? Seeing the uncertainty in my face, my father stepped forward. Placing a hand on my shoulder, he said, I know it's not a perfect plan, but the alternative is worse. We're talking about the fate of the world. Multiple worlds. Sanctuary won't keep the child safe. Sooner or later, the circle will get to her, which means we have to act first. We could use your help. My help, I repeated. I pulled away, taking a few steps away from the group. My fingers brushed through the dancing plant life. When Varian brought me here, I thought. He must have known my father would find me, try to recruit me. Surely he wouldn't want to sabotage his own plans. What was he planning? I'm not a kin anymore, I said. The Ebon Mist is gone. All the connections I had, tools, weapons, the mist gates, they're gone. We have frights, Ketra said. Many who would fight Winvarian. Good spirits, my father added. Your bond would be mutual, and temporary if you wish it. That's not what I meant, I said, turning back to face them. We still don't know the truth about my presence here. The God of Eternity doesn't act rashly. He knows I'm vulnerable. Whatever his next move is, I fear I'm the pawn he's using. More silence. Then, despite it all, 
my father chuckled to himself. Kneeling next to a patch of flowers, he plucked a small white one that resembled a daisy. Standing up, he released it. I marveled as the daisy spun around in midair, like a ballerina untethered from the earth. Remember that time we went to the Gilded Coast? I winced. It was like he invoked the memory in my mind. I was a child, no more than five or six years old. We'd traveled south from Shale Cross, so my father could sell his glassworks to some Mula merchants. We had time to spare, so we walked along the beach golden yellow sand, loud, strong waves, seagulls squawking far above us, a stiff, cool breeze blowing through our hair. It was one of the first things that came back to me, my father said. You, stumbling across the sand, combing the beach for stones and seashells. You'd never seen the ocean before. <laughs> you were so excited. At one point, he tried to build a wall out of wet sand that stretched across the entire beach. You wanted to see if you could stop the waves. I told you it was impossible. The waves do as they will. But you didn't give up. You kept going, piling on wet sand until the sun went down. Eventually, you fell asleep. And that was when I brought you home. My father met my eyes again. I like to think if we had stayed there, you really would have stopped the waves. That's the kind of person you are, Rowan. At least, who I remember you to be. You make the impossible happen. I know what we're up against, and I know our enemies got tricks up his sleeve. But it doesn't matter, because we've got you. Please, son, will you help us? The hallowed air of the observatory was pierced by crying. Ketra bounced the child in her arms, cooing at it. Her pitchy, full-bodied wails were like a primal call to arms. It was enough to shake me out of my malaise. This is why I survived Mira, I realized. My work was not finished. Like Nix, Zara, and Leona before him, my father had been a victim of my selfishness. And like it or not, I was linked to Invarian's plans. I might as well try to be a wrench in the machine, rather than a cog. Of course I will, I said. When Varian's lost to me before, and he will again. Elated, my father embraced me again. From behind him, I saw Ketra smile widely at me. Kumia closed her eyes in something akin to relief. Come, said the leader of Sanctuary. There are a few persons you should meet. I will explain more on the way. I followed Kamiya out of the observatory. Ketra and my father left in the other direction, discussing strategies. And the child cried on, 
blissfully unaware of the fires of war kindling around her. Kumia and I took a lift to the upper levels of the inverted tower. A spectral disk lifted us up through dozens of levels. Kumia explained more details of the plan as we traveled. Five kin make up the circle of masks, she said. Raxo, kin of dying embers. His coins steal life from others to fuel the dead. There is Vostri, kin of the rivers of time. Minutes and hours stop and go at the pace of her songs. Third is Akira, kin of the stolen chorus. She can mimic any sound, any voice one has ever heard. Gareth is kin of feral soul, a vicious chimera. Last is Katra, kin of the spider. I furrowed my brow. I thought she was... The gentlefolk, said Kumia. They are spiders. They change their appearance to fool their prey. I bristled, thinking of the mossy-robed silhouettes standing watch over our bodies back in the physical plane. She could have mentioned that. She did not want to frighten you, said Kumia, with a hint of a smile. From what I know of rituals, they require kin with frights from each element, I said. Are the other members of the circle linked in some way? Kumia nodded. Each member has a focus for their powers. Raxo has his coin. Vostri, her pipa. Akira wears a choker around her neck. These items are Kresh Lakalna. As you say, fright touched. Infused with their magic, I acknowledged. So... We steal their foci and use them to complete the ritual. We must steal Gareth's as well, Kumia said. His fright is too wild for him to control. His physical body is bound in fright-touched chains to suppress the beast. Then, in order to get the chains off of him, we must set Feral's soul free, yes. I grimaced. Lovely. So, the coin, the pipa, the choker, and the chain. Bring them back here, and we can perform the ritual. As far as saving the multiverse goes, I guess that's pretty simple. Kumia chuckled. You have humor. That is good. The lift slowed to a halt. Wide, soundless doors slid open revealing a field of tall grass and blue skies. Kumia sauntered inside and gestured for me to follow. Wind struck us as we entered. I watched the lift doors close behind us, vanishing. An endless, verdant field was left in their wake. Before us, there was a cliff overlooking a beautiful, fertile valley. Crystalline rivers and blooming flowers shimmering like fresh-glazed candy in the sun. Kumia and I stood at the edge, admiring the stunning view. You created all of this? I asked in wonderment, 
Not by myself, said Camille. I have faith. The gods help you? Camille shook her head. People. The people of Sanctuary. The frights running from Winvarian. They have faith. They believe in our mission, our dream of freedom. They believe in me. Faith is power in the shade, Vondaire. Without it, everything breaks. Like so much glass. I absorbed her words, gazing out at the valley. Why are we here? To introduce you to your new partners, said Kumia. They should be here any minute. I shifted uncomfortably. I had never intended to soulbind with another fright after Isolde. The first experience was harrowing enough. And how could I know these frights would keep their word, and keep the arrangement mutual? Not going to lie, Camilla, I said. I'm a little uneasy about this plan. If it helps, Camilla said, so are they. They? I repeated. Wait, what do you mean by partners? Before Camilla could respond, I heard the quickened rustling of grass behind me. I whirled around, just in time to see something wooden arcing up at my face. I dodged, as the assailant planted their bow staff in the dirt. It was a monkey, similar to the ones I'd seen when I first arrived in Sanctuary. Long, bushy green hair, with oversized hands and eyes big as plates. Before I could react, the monkey braced itself with its bow staff and leapt upwards, kicking my face. Its foot crashed into my jaw. I fell backwards, losing my balance. I took a step back and realized in horror there was no more ground to step onto. I hurtled off the edge of the cliff. I was about to scream when suddenly I landed on something hard and jagged. Wincing in pain, I sat up to see what it was. My scream came in earnest when I realized it was a rock golem climbing up the face of the cliff. Its stone-sheathed hands dropped me back onto the solid ground of the clifftop. The monkey prepped its staff for another swing, but Camilla placed a hand on its head. Down, Gaz, she said gently. This is the one I told you about. The monkey dropped its staff and cocked its head at me in disbelief. This one? You're pulling my tail, Granny! Manners, Gaz, groaned the golem. It was the size of a house. Its beard was made of dangling shale chips. Stacked river stones made up its arms and legs. Fiery veins of lava coursed through the cracks of its jet-black torso and head. It waved gently at me. Apologies. My associate lacks decorum. Stop making up words, Igneous! Gaz spat. And don't act like you're not disappointed. Granny told us we were getting a real hero, like the Miraculous Four. True heroism lies beneath the surface, my little friend. 
Yeah, well, this pipsqueak doesn't look big enough to have much else underneath him. You know I can hear you, right? I said. Gaz the monkey crossed his arms at me. Oh, yeah? Well, hear this then. We're only doing this because Granny said it was important. The second we're done, I'm peeling you off like a banana peel. Got that? I shook my head at the absurdity. I am certainly not in the Evan Mist anymore, I thought. Still, at least my fears about a long-term engagement were ill-founded. The rock golem held up its gargantuan hand to its mouth in shock. Gaz! he exclaimed. Please forgive him, sir. Gaz is not one for sediment. I paused. You... do you mean sentiment? That is what I said. I blinked, looking to Kamiya helplessly. Was I really to fight off the god of frights with these two fools? Kumia clapped her hands. Tiala Tola, that is enough. You two are the strongest frights in Sanctuary. Act like it. Sorry, Granny, said Gaz sheepishly. It's just that he's so stupid looking. I'm going to ignore that, I muttered. Kumia, I don't understand. I can't bond with more than one fright at a time. How is this going to work? Do I choose one? Theirs is a special contract, said Kumia. Gaz and Igneous work as a team. They, ah, how you say, take turns with a soul. Gaz takes the daytime, Igneous the night. One follows as a guide, while the other joins with your soul. I looked at them both. Despite their first impressions, they did seem rather formidable. Gaz was agile and stealthy, while Igneous seemed to possess great physical strength. But appearances could be deceiving. Alright. Let's say I bond with you both. What can you do? Pfft. I'm not some circus monkey, pal. Granny said it herself. We're the best Sanctuary has to offer. Take it or leave it. Sorry, Gaz, I sneered. It's just that you're so stupid looking. I could practically see the fumes coming out of Gaz's nose. With a wild yelp, he twirled his bow staff above his head. Leaping into the air, he brought the staff swinging down hard. It hit the earth with a mighty crack. I nearly fell over again as a blade of mighty wind erupted from the staff. Like a mighty dragon, it devoured the tall grass in its path, leaving a wide swath of bare earth in its wake. Then, the earth began to rumble. I looked to Igneous, whose hands were pressed hard into the earth. In the dirt of the path carved out by Gaz, the earth raised to form a perfectly hewn stone stairway, stretching high into the air. Awestruck, I smiled at the two frights. Gaz crossed his arms again, huffing slightly but grinning in self-satisfaction. Igneous straightened up, shrugging humbly. Laughing, I raised my arms at Kumia. Oh yes, I declared. They'll do just fine.
Echoes of Exeser is a production of Cult 1440. Check out our YouTube page for more content. It was written, produced, and performed by Nick Walker. Sound effects made with GarageBand, Freesound.org, and Sword Coast Soundscapes on YouTube. Link in the description. Theme music by Brittany Rea. Find links to more of her work in the description. For questions or comments, email us at cult1440productions at gmail.com.